Blog Talk Radio. Hello out there. My name is Sam Maxwell, and welcome to the Bedford and Sullivan Podcast, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners in the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series research process. And the last time that uh, we were here uh, with, with Mr. Carl Erskine, it was clear that we still had so much more to talk about regarding 1955 and the World Series win over the Yankees. And so I bring once back Mr. Carl Erskine. Carl, thank you again for joining me. Oh, Sam, it's always a pleasure, and thank you for calling me. Oh, absolutely. So uh, where we left off, we, uh, we were talking about Game 7, but I'm going to slow it down a bit and uh, talk about your pitching in 1955. Um, what, what is your personal opinion of, of how you did in 1955, even though you guys collectively won the World Series? Yeah, right. Well, uh, it's hard to say I had any kind of a disappointment. Uh, we'd been so many years trying to win that series, and so everything uh, pales by comparison to actually getting the win. But I was in the middle of my seasons uh, of better pitching. I won 20 in 53, uh, 18 in 54, but I had lots of arm trouble. And I did pitch the opening game in 55, as I recall. Uh, I believe I pitched against Pittsburgh uh, and won the game 5-1. to one. Uh, we went on a streak uh, of wins there, 10, 10 out of the next 12 or so, and then a second streak, and we got off to a huge start. And I won my my 11 games. I won in the, mostly in the first half. But by the second half, I was struggling with arm trouble. And uh, when we finally sensed the pennant, and incidentally, it was one of those years when uh, the term goes wire to wire, mm-hmm. we did win opening day. And we did win uh, the seventh game of the World Series. So between those bookends uh, of my uh, opening day win and Padres' uh, two and nothing shutout to give Brooklyn its only uh, World Championship, I'll tell you that that was such a high that uh, all, everything that happened in between is almost incidental because uh, it took all of that plus. Uh, the seventh game against a tough Yankee team, which we had trouble beating in seven games. Uh, and so I may have repeated uh, this story, uh, Sam, I'm not sure, but there's a there's a given after a World Series win. There's an absolutely given. Uh, you're going to have a champagne celebration in the clubhouse. And so that was going to happen. But what was unique about 55? You had a team of veteran players you had Hall of Famers, you had all-star players, you had a team that had put some tremendous numbers together over several years and never came away with the the real prize. And so our fans went along with us, and Mm. we we died for our fans. Now, that sounds trite, I know, but let me tell you, professionals are are just uh, individuals like anybody. We got emotions. We have... Uh, likes dislikes we got uh, ups and downs well that team ached so hard for losing in 51 uh, to the uh, giants in the in the famous uh, shot heard around the world that uh, we'd lost on the last day in 50 and uh, then we'd played the yankees four other times in the world series in my years uh, many more counting the before i got there but to win the prize at the end of all of that 
uh, we went up the runway into the Yankee uh, visitor's locker room, and there was a moment or two or three. It's hard to remember more than it was. It was a sustained period when there was no shouting. There was quiet. There was a a sobering, some kind of a emotional feeling with this team, and uh, I saw this happen, but I didn't think anybody else noticed it. Uh, Pee Wee had a tear in his eye. Hodges had a tear in his eye. Roger Craig, last year, after all these years, confirmed to me that he was a rookie, and he said, I saw all you guys, the boys of summer. Carl, you had a tear in your own eye. (laughs) There was an emotional high for that win, and then eventually, within a very short time, the corks begin to pop and the champagne begin to flow, mm-hmm. and everything from then on was just uh, off the wall. Uh, Brooklyn never went to bed, I don't think, for two or three nights. But, yeah. Uh, that was the that was finally the achievement uh, that we we prayed for, tried for, <laughs> and di- got disappointed so many times. But boy, was it worth it when it finally happened! I mean, I'll tell you, I I have I almost got a tear in my eye right now listening to the story. You know, as I'm sure a lot of Dodger fans out there after so many years still do. And so you guys, you celebrated with champagne. Uh, I'm sure the writers the writers were in there with big smiles on their faces. Um, so when did you start making your way out of Yankee Stadium? Gee, I, you know, there was a prolonged uh, time uh, beyond normal, but we all had families there. Uh, in the World Series, you know, one of the hardest things, you'd think playing the games would be hard. The hardest things for a player in the World Series is handling the tickets he's got to handle for all the families and uh, cousins he never knew he had and all the guys that uh, gave you a, a deal on something and uh, gave you a wholesale something <laughs> come back for tickets. And handling tickets is a huge headache. But uh, when the game was over, we prolonged in the clubhouse. There was a lot of uh, interviews being done and, and the typical uh, uh, clubhouse of, of the winning team. And then uh, one by one, we joined our families. But the celebration was only beginning because Brooklyn, uh, the streets, the uh, businesses, the, the people hanging out of upstairs windows, I mean, the whole, the whole scene was... Uh, in one big, huge celebration, and the emotions that had been uh, been t- pushed away for so long finally all came out. And I think something else happened psychologically. I think the the borough of Brooklyn finally stood up and uh, stuck out his chest and said, "You know what? We've always been uh, the orphan borough of New York." Now we're standing tall above uh, Broadway, <laughs> uptown, uh, the stadium. Uh, I think there was a feeling of absolute uh, joy and and also uh, dignity. Uh, look who we are. And, of course, Willard Mullen, the cartoonist, he had a great, a great front page on the uh, next day on the Daily News, a full-page cartoon of the bum saying who's a bum mm-hmm. I think I think we cast off that that bum except in an affectionate sort of way I think that uh, daffiness boys uh, all those years of second division 
this team finally captured not only the World Series, uh, we captured the city that night. So you you made your way uh, uh, down from the Bronx. How did you guys get get down there? And, and I'm guessing did you did you all go um, as a collective team, or were you all individually with your families on your way back to Brooklyn? Now, what Brooke, what the Dodgers had always done in the World Series is we would meet at Ebbets Field the morning of a World Series game if it were in Yankee Stadium, uh, and there would be two buses, a bus for the players and a bus for the families. And we'd take the uh, escorted tour up uh, one of the avenues uh, up to Yankee Stadium, and it was an interesting uh, scene. As we were leaving Brooklyn, we had signs all the uh, well-wishing signs along the uh, route across the uh, uh, through the tunnel up into up onto the uh, West Side Highway. But once we got over into Manhattan um, and up toward the Bronx, uh, we started getting the eggs on the bus and the, the ripe fruit on on the windows, and, and we said, "You guys, thumbs down and." We get the whole treatment. Now, I tell you what, my dad rode in the family bus behind behind the team, and he thought that ride up to the stadium and then the ride back when we came back as winners, uh, we didn't see many signs uh, in Manhattan on the way back. <laughs> but when we, when we got to the Brooklyn Bridge, I'm telling you, that whole city was, uh, was alive and, and on the streets. And my dad sat right up behind the driver, uh, and he said this was the greatest ride of his life, <laughs> to ride up and down and come back to Brooklyn. But we all came back, and then the celebration was uh, officially assigned uh, to the Bossard Hotel in Brooklyn, where many of us had stayed uh, in the early part of the season until our families would get to Brooklyn. And then we'd move to a, a, a leased house someplace. But um, the Bossard Hotel was the center now of the celebration in Brooklyn. But, but you couldn't tell where the center was. It was every place. <laughs> and uh, so that night we uh, we ate, we danced, we played, we we romped, uh, and we congratulated each other, and uh, it went on into the wee wee hours. And uh, um, I remember uh, Johnny Padres was, of course, the superhero that day, having pitched a, a two-nothing shutout <clears throat> to give us a championship. And uh, Johnny was young; he was one of our younger players. Uh, but boy, was he having a night! So uh, there was a scout in New York called Frank Scott, and he used to—he uh, was not the, not, excuse me, not a scout. He was an agent. Um, and he was not the agent that we think of today. Frank Scott was an agent for a lot of the networks to uh, book uh, various players of the New York teams on television shows. And uh, there was most times there was no honorarium, uh, but occasionally there was one or one or two places. But anyway, Frank Scott called, and he called me as player representative. He said, "Look, uh, I want uh, we want Johnny Padres on." the Today Show in the morning. And I'm calling you and I'm calling Duke Snyder. I want you guys to be sure and get Johnny Padres to the studio at 7 a.m. in the morning. Well, believe me, by 
by about 3 a.m., things were still going good at the Bossert. And finally, we got Johnny to bed and got him up in the morning, and Duke and I got him to the Today Show. And, and Johnny was still buzzed up pretty good. <laughs> but, but on the Today, uh, Johnny was a very mild-mannered kid. He was a very uh, uh, laid-back, uh, not boastful. And uh, someone has recorded that he said on the bus going to the stadium, get me one run today, that's all I'm going to need. Well, whether that ever happened, I it, I didn't hear it. But on the Today Show, this mild-mannered kid, uh, with uh, some of the champagne talking, actually, he said, bring him on again. I can do it again. I'll take on those Yankees any day in the week. <laughs> that was not Johnny Padres normally. But anyway, I wonder whether, uh, you know, I, I bet you somewhere out there there's that video because, you know, it's it's uh, I hear that they used to sometimes just record right over some of this tape and some of these videos, some of these old television uh, specials are lost to oh, the boy. annals of time, unfortunately. But well, you know, you, you you yeah. randomly see you you know it's it, it's it's marvelous how some people are able to find these things for for YouTube. Yeah, right. Well, Jack Lascouli was a redheaded host of the Today Show for he was a sports guy on the Today Show. And he's the one that did the interviewing. So that would be a key to, to finding. Well, we know the year, so, mm-hmm. uh, and even you'd know the date exactly, October 4th, 1955. <laughs> right, right. Well, the, the Today Show would be uh, October 5th. Mm. Correct. Yeah, you got it. Um, yeah, it's, I, I found one thing, uh, but it's just about, about an article in discussing um, uh, of his appearance on the television show, but it's it's not even the article necessarily. It's it's a connect, It's trying to connect you to the article, but um, it's uh, yeah. Unfortunately, it, it, you're not able to find that. But the, quite quite the video. If somebody has that out there. <laughs> oh yeah, right. I don't know if anybody would. Have, I don't know whether technology would uh, allow you to copy in those days or not. But right, exactly. But anyway, it was it was quite an event, and um, and of course. Uh, Johnny Padres uh, went on after that to have uh, really an outstanding career uh, after the Brooklyn days in Los Angeles. He was he was teamed up with Drysdale and uh, and Koufax uh, after my retirement. Uh, that was the big three for a while. So uh, so Johnny, who we lost last year, um, yeah. was he was one of those New York kids that uh, what was it Weatherby, New York was where he came from. But he went back to upstate New York, uh, lived out his life, and I uh, thought it was interesting that uh, he and Don Zimmer were good buddies because they went to the track all the time. And they I know they always were into the ball club for loans because they were always both broke, but uh, but they loved the track. So uh, <laughs> so when, when Padres died, uh, he was up at Lake Geneva, I think, uh, New York, uh, Luzerne, maybe Lake Luzerne. Anyway, uh, Zimmer uh, was able to get to his funeral. Uh, I was not able to go, but anyway, uh, Zimmer went. And uh, I guess uh, he, he spoke to Padre's wife, and he asked uh, if he could do a favor, if she would allow him to, to have a favor. And she said, well, uh, yes, well, what is it? He said, could I put a racing form in Johnny's casket? <laughs> and she said, well, yes, that's okay. <laughs> so... That was uh, Zimmer's, uh, maybe the Dodgers' finally tribute to uh, 
to Johnny Padres. That is that is sweet, and um, you know Zen is still going strong. Um, I, I want to go back to Game Four, October first, nineteen fifty-five, and, and your uh, your start of Game right. Four. You guys are down two to one in the series. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at some specifics here, but go ahead and uh, discuss the uh, those those three innings that you pitched to me in the game. Yeah. As I recall, I might have started against uh, that day. I either started against Ford or uh, Larson. I, it's uh, it's a little blurry for me right now, but it's, anyway. It's Larson. You, got, Larson. you, got, you okay. got Larson right, yeah. Okay. So, uh, well, I'd started uh, maybe the year before against Ford. Anyhow, I, I was going to get one start in the series because my record at that time of the year was not uh, – and, and what was amazing, we had two rookies who joined us mid-season. That was Roger Craig and uh, Don Besson. And Roger Craig uh, actually won one of our four games in the World Series. Uh, that was a surprise. Uh, if you looked at our roster, Ed Newcomb and, uh, and Erskine, the guys have been pitching for a long time. But, uh, but I got to start in the fourth game. And um, as I recall, I know the Yankees scored on me uh, maybe three runs, and about and I probably was being viewed by Alston that it doesn't look like Erskine has uh, really got his best stuff today. So mm-hmm. by the time I came up to hit, I think in the fourth inning, possibly they used a pinch hitter for me. And what was really too bad about that game? We ended up scoring eight runs in that game. And uh, my good buddy, uh, Clem Labine, relieved me and got the win. So he, uh, he, he did pick up the win of the game I started. So I had no decision. But I was disappointed, really, uh, having played 10 seasons in Brooklyn, pitched in uh, five World Series, uh, that I couldn't get one of the four wins uh, of, the big, of the big year. But, again, I told you, everything paled by comparison during mm-hmm. the season after uh, we really captured – the, the World Series, and, and you know, we all got this beautiful uh, World Series ring, and there's only one in the world like it. Uh, that ring, if I wanted to sell it, it would probably be worth more than my house. But uh, Don't do that. <laughs> no, I don't plan to. I, I don't. It'll pass to my sons in order mm-hmm. of their age, so my oldest son will get the, uh, the Brooklyn World Series ring, and then I did get the ring in Los Angeles in 59, and that would go to my second son. What they do with it, I don't have any strings attached. But uh, but that um, but my start was uh, certainly uh, to pitch a World Series uh, game. Uh, being a lineup is is a high calling. Uh, so I was even though I was a veteran pitcher, uh, you have that absolute uh, little boy uh, excitement about having the manager pick you to start a start a World Series game. Mm-hmm. So, um, so while I didn't win it, uh, we did end up winning it. So, um, so that that That's counted it. big for me to be a part of that. Yeah. Well, you know, it's remarkable. Obviously, the uh, modern technology. I'm able to see exactly what happened. The, the baseball reference has the play-by-play, and it looks like you started at the top of the fourth. Yogi got a single off you, and then you walked. Uh, on, I got to scroll up here. Uh, J- um, Sorry, uh, Joe Collins. That's the the Jay Collins is Joe Collins, and right. like you like you said, uh, Alston thought that you didn't have your best stuff, and uh, the sense, Don, the sense uh, relieved you in that moment. And unfortunately, they got a run off him. But what's what's great is that in the bottom of the fourth, 
your 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 teammates had your back, and Boy Campanella homered, Ferrello singled, and then Gill hit a homer to to uh, right center. Which my guess is it was over the the Bedford Avenue wall. Probably right. Yeah, which was a little bit rare in those days to see a right-hander uh, hit a power shot to the opposite field. But that's one of the big changes in baseball today. The strike zone has been lowered so much that uh, uh, most uh, most hitters with power can hit it out in any direction mm-hmm. because the high the high fastball, uh, even though a hitter will swing at it occasionally, is not a called strike anymore. And and that's the pitch that you want to set up your your best pitch on the low outside. But the hitters now don't have to protect for that high strike. Uh, they still can't lay off of it once in a while, but but yeah. you never get a called strike up there. And so an opposite field home run was unusual in my day. And and then uh, Duke got one later, and you guys uh, carried carried it to a, a fantastic eight five win. And um, you know the rest is history, as we discussed. Right. Um, you, you mentioned 1959. Um, jumping out of 1955 for a second, you know that was really the last hurrah for a, a lot of you guys. What, what what was that feeling like? You know, well, you be, know, having moved from Brooklyn and, and now in Los Angeles. Yeah, you know, uh, when we moved from Los Angeles to Los Angeles from Brooklyn, um, it's hard for me to describe it. Uh, you'd almost have to have lived it to, to have the feeling that we were not going back to uh, the East Coast. We're not going back to New York. I mean, the New York stage is still the biggest stage in the world. I I know it's debatable with other uh, cities, but but when you when you look at New York City. Uh, and, and to leave New York and go to another huge city uh, and a great city, uh, Los Angeles. But boy, the culture was so different. And mm-hmm. um, so we made we made the move, and we didn't play very well. Uh, Campy had been injured uh, and was in the hospital in '58. Uh, he got hurt in January, as I remember. We went to spring training without him, uh, and we went to the same place we'd always trained, Vero Beach, Florida. Dodger Town. So nothing seemed different, uh, even though uh, we were destined to go to, to Los Angeles uh, that same season. But nothing seemed different in spring training. It was only when we uh, boarded the Dodger plane, which we had our own private plane in those days, a jet, uh, and uh, we headed to not play our way north uh, to, to New York, but we, uh, we piled on the plane and headed to the West Coast. That's when it hit the team, really that the era that we had uh, been so blessed to have in New York uh, was over. And this was uh, a new day uh, and a new chapter. So we, uh, I think the veterans on the team felt it more than the younger players. Drysdale, for instance, was going to his home state, his home city, uh, even eyes, but uh, uh, some of the young guys probably had more excitement uh, the older players, like myself, Newcomb, Duke, uh, Hodges, Ferrillo, uh, Pee Wee, uh, we all felt like now we got to go prove ourselves all over again. Uh, yeah. We've already had our best years now, and now here we go to a, a new crowd uh, facing new fans, and uh, they don't know much about what we've done. we we got to try to prove again uh, that we're really as good as they read about. <laughs> so. So it was, but for the younger guys, I think it was more of an excitement. For the for the older guys, it was uh, it was like we got to regroup here and and reach back and see if we got anything left. 
the fact is we finished in second division in 58, which was the first time in my whole 14-year career that I ever finished that low in a standing. We had always minor leagues, major leagues, either one with the Dodgers. We were always in contention. But we, we finished, uh, I think we finished seventh in the eight-team league at that time. And it, was a, it was a very bad beginning. I had pitched the opener in Los Angeles. I got that honor. And I did get to win against the Giants. It was a wild game. We won six to five. Uh, I think I pitched eight in the third innings, and Labine again came in and uh, nailed it down. But um, but we had a very difficult time adjusting to all the new uh, uh, setup in Los Angeles. So we didn't play well. Now comes '59, and uh, we go back, and we again we're playing very mediocre. And by June the 15th, we were in fifth place, and I knew myself. I told Bavese, our general manager, uh, you know, Buzzy, I, I, gave, I gave it all I had. I, I think my arm is at a point where I'm, uh, I'm not valuable anymore, <clears throat> and I can't relieve because uh, my arm uh, gives me problems. So anyway, uh, I retired at June 15th voluntarily and stayed on as a coach. Mm-hmm. But uh, at that point, being in fifth place, Bavese made several moves. He, he brought up Maury Wills. Pee Wee retired uh, and became a coach. He brought up Maury Wills. Uh, he brought up uh, Larry Sherry, uh, Frank Howard, uh, and uh, Norm Sherry, a catcher. And uh, trying to think if I miss anybody. He acquired Chuck Asijin in a trade. And so the boys of summer were finally being replaced with a brand-new team, uh, virtually a brand-new team. Hodges was still at first, and Duke was still in center. Uh, but the rest of the team basically had been uh, uh, re- redesigned. Now, that team in 1959, in mid-July, mid-June, was in fifth place. And that team tied Milwaukee and beat Milwaukee in the playoffs and won the World Series against the White Sox. And the, uh, the uniqueness of that is, that the team that won the World Series was basically in the minor leagues the first half of the season. Yeah. But I stayed on as a coach and uh, finished the year, uh, went to the victory party, uh, got my uh, World Series ring, uh, and uh, told everybody goodbye. So the the move to Los Angeles, uh, it depends on which side of the table you're sitting. Uh, There's some people saw it as a bitter experience. The, the loyal Brooklyn fans uh, to this day uh, can't believe it happened. The, the Los Angeles fans who only saw minor league baseball uh, until 1958 finally saw major league teams. They got to see the Musials, the Kiners, uh, the Warren Spawns. Uh, they got to see uh, some of the great players from, from the Dodgers, although they missed Jackie and they missed Campy. Uh, and so it was a, it was truly a chapter closed and, and a new chapter beginning. If you were a stockholder with the Dodgers, you would say Walter O'Malley uh, should never be hung in effigy. He should be in the Hall of Fame, which he is. Uh, so it depends on which side of the table you, you were seated. And oh. the, the Dodger history has, has included the wonderful years in Brooklyn, uh, and now in 
continues on in Los Angeles. Well, speaking of Jackie, what was your reaction when he got traded to the Giants and then subsequently retired? Unbelievable. I asked Bavese, general manager. You know, I, I was player representing, but uh, I didn't have any necessarily any authority, or I only was a, a voice uh, out of the clubhouse. I asked Buzzy, what in the world? This is not, this is inconceivable. If Ted Williams, for instance, when you said the Red Sox, you say Ted Williams, you, you know, the, it's the Red Sox. If you say Musial, it's the Cardinals. When you say Jackie Robinson, it's the Dodgers. How could we do that? Well, Buzzy said, you know, I'm only the general manager, and uh, Jackie is very controversial now. He's retired. He got a radio show. He's got a column uh, syndicated in the newspaper, and he's a very strong civil rights advocate. And Mr. Ricky uh, is gone. Now, Mr. O'Malley says this guy is uh, is bad mouth in the, the game, and so uh, get rid of him. So Jackie had a deal with the New York, with the Dodgers. If he was going to be traded, it had to be to a New York team. Uh, but when he was traded to the Giants, uh, he did refuse to report. Yeah. It, it, it luckily though uh, nobody got to see him in the black and orange. <laughs> Luckily's right. Duke said he couldn't believe he looked down and saw that black and orange. He said, "I don't even like Halloween. Right, bad colors." <laughs> which is coming up. Uh, speaking of which, uh, I'll, you know we're almost out of time, but I'll, I'll leave with this though. Uh, you were mentioning spring training in 1958 and how you were still in Vero Beach, Florida. And they just, you know, it's not so recently that they moved to Arizona. Um, so in terms of uh, of the Brooklyn fans down there, because I'm, I'm guessing, you know, that had become kind of a Dodger town, uh, what, what was your um, – what, what, was, what, what was your experience coming across Brooklyn fans in that first off-season and spring training? Well, you know, that was – you're, you're right. People uh, – plan their vacations around the trip to Vero Beach when the Dodgers were training. The camp was open. You could walk around uh, safely uh, between uh, uh, workout areas. And uh, the fans, uh, the players were available to the fans. And they were respectful. They knew you were working and so forth. But that that robbed Vero Beach uh, when the Dodgers moved. That robbed Vero Beach of a major uh, attraction for uh, tourists. And uh, it, it really hurt the economy of Vero Beach when the when the team moved out. Now they've reshaped some of the uh, things there, and Peter O'Malley has come back in to do some uh, reconnecting with the teams from Asia uh, who come in to train there, uh, Korea particularly. Uh, and uh, so Dodger Town is still alive, uh, but it does not uh, accommodate the Dodgers who moved to a new training site in uh, Glendale, California. So, uh, but fortunately for us who spent our uh, most of our uh, lives at Vero Beach, Florida, Dodger Town, uh, sweating blood, making the team, hanging on to the team, uh, uh, having all the rich experience of that uh, small community, uh, we still hold that as the, the true Dodger Town, and uh, it is a piece of the Dodger history for sure. Yeah, uh, and I'd like to take a, take a look down there sometime and, and see what the community is like now. Uh, Carl, it, it's always so fascinating to hear you talk about uh, Brooklyn and its Dodgers, and 
as always, I'm sure I'm going to have several more questions for you. So we'll certainly connect at a later time. All right, Sam. Well, you know, you helped me relive some of the richest moments of my whole life. And uh, for a skinny kid from Anderson, Indiana, to be privileged uh, to walk on that big stage and with the players and the opponents that uh, were there at the time, uh, that's, a, that's a rich experience. And uh, so I appreciate you asking me. Absolutely. Thank you very, very much, Carl. That's our show, everybody. Catch us next time. Take care.